0: This is The Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Gordon Damer Show.
1: Julius Randle has looked like a shell of his former self. There is something wrong with him right now. Either he's hurt or his recovery is way behind the the, the process that it should be. He looks like he's moving in quicksand and he's not doing anything well. You have to assume at some point that this is going to get turned around. And the Knicks got to figure that out. I don't know what the issue is, but I know there's an issue. This Randle that I'm watching now is not the, the bad version of Randle
0: I've seen. At other times. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.
1: Ah, uh, yes, it is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN, New York. Already two hours down, one more to go. It's flying by, people. It does every Saturday. But it's time now for our NFL Week Nine picks and Week Eight. We'll go down in the record, but it's for many things. But it's the week we turned things around. Our first winning week in a very long time. I think it was week three was our last winning week. So it had been a hot minute. And it wasn't like we uh, broke Vegas or anything like that. We went 1-0-1 last week. But it's winning. It's winning. The Jets pulled one out of the fire to make sure it's a winning week. Oh, thank God. That would have been a really bad loss there. Never been so happy for a push in my life nine and 14 on the season but this week last week first winning week in a while this week the best i have felt about picks in a while so let's get right to it let's start at the beginning frankfurt germany where we are all good uh football games begin dolphins and chiefs kansas city minus a point and a half A half. i'm begging the nfl Play the games in Frankfurt. Play the games in London. Play the games on the moon. Just stop pitching me as if I'm going to be excited about it. I'm not excited about waking up at 9.30 to watch football. I like waking up a little later on a Sunday. And and you're not doing this for me. Stop making it like we're in this together. You're excited because you're making an extra billion dollars. It does nothing for us. All you're telling us is you don't care about us. You just... You will go to Timbuktu if it means you get an extra billion. This game is interesting for a lottery. What were the takeaways from week eight? The, it seemed like one of the big ones in the NFL was well, who's good, right? We're halfway through the season. The Chiefs lost, the Niners lost, the Eagles almost lost. I got the test. This is the test. You ready? To find out if a team is good or not. Play the Dolphins. If you're good, you'll beat them. If you lose to them, you're not good. The Bills, Bills are good. Eagles are good. The Chargers, not good. Patriots, not good. Panthers, not good. Broncos, not good. Patriots played them again. They're still not good. The Dolphins are the perfect litmus test. They don't beat the good teams, but they get fat on the bad teams. They've played a lot of bad teams so far this year. They're scheduled from this point forward. One of the toughest the rest of the way, if not the toughest. I guess it kind of depends on how you measure these things. The Chiefs blew it last week, and they really, to me, they blew it at the trade deadline. Their goal is super clear, Super Bowl or bust, to not add an impact wide receiver in a year where what's your first round pick going to be? It just seems like a complete missed opportunity, and I will say this, their offense is still good, but this is the worst version of it that it's been with Patrick Mahomes. Now, maybe he's just so brilliant he'll be able to overcome it all. That is possible. That, is, that isn't with the range of outcomes. But I think that they blew it. They really dropped the ball there. Who will not be dropping the ball this week, though? Give me the Chiefs minus the point and a half. No, the Dolphins are not going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs defense is pretty good. Their pass rush will get to it a little bit. And I think going into this game, especially coming off a loss, I don't think the Chiefs are losing two in a row. Give me Kansas City minus point and a half. Game number two. We started at the beginning. Let's fast forward to the end. Jets, Chargers, Jets plus three and a half. Oh, I said it earlier. If you had to come up with a textbook definition of a fraud team, that is the San Diego Chargers. It's now the L.A. Chargers. They were frauds in both places. It translates. The fan base didn't travel. But the fraudness level did. Justin Herbert is an NFL catfish, perfect for a Chargers team that you look at it from afar and you say, "Wow, this is a pretty good team. They got a lot of talent. They got Keenan Allen. They got Joey Bosa. They got Austin Eckler. They should be really good. They're not really good. They're always less than the sum of the parts. And the fact that they looked really good against the Bears last week makes it all the more pur- more, more perfect." Make no mistake, the Jets absolutely should win this game. And they have to overcome their biggest obstacle, which is not Justin Herbert, which is not the Chargers' defense. It is optimism. Optimism is the Jets' kryptonite. But that said, give me the Jets plus the three and a half. So last week we had our first winning week. We only picked two games. Should I pick a third game? Well, I gave both Joe and Harvey a chance to to veto things, but I'm going to go to the Magic 8-Ball. Magic 8-Ball, where are you? Ah, here you are, Magic 8-Ball. Magic 8-Ball, should I pick a third game? Let's see what Magic 8-Ball says. It is decidedly so. All right, so are we picking the Bengals and the Bills? Nah. Are we picking the Cowboys and the Eagles? Uh-uh. Are we going with Seahawks and Ravens? Of course not. A good portion of how I make my picks is I put money on games that gives me a reason to stay awake during them. No better example than that. Then, of course, Giants, Raiders, Las Vegas giants plus one and a half they're getting points on the road against the absolute dumpster fire of dumpster fires the giants should absolutely lose this game they should it would be the best thing for them long term but they're not going to lose this game they are going to go out to vegas and they are going to cash in throw the giants on the free money express Choo choo. give me the giants plus the point and a half. So there you go, your week nine picks. The Chiefs, the Jets, the Giants. What could possibly go wrong? 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number, 1-800-919-3776. This week was very big NFL-wise. It's big NBA-wise with the Knicks. But it's also big for the Yankees and the Mets because now we get to revisit them. Because the baseball season is over. So we'll touch on some Yankees and Mets points coming up next. It's on the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN, New York.
0: Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.
1: And I did want to touch on a little baseball because uh, Joe Leo just told me in my ear today, 14 years ago today is the last time the Yankees hoisted the World Series. 14 years without uh, since the uh, last uh, title for the yankees and uh, i think it's clear big off season for both teams yankees and mets the rangers congratulations to them on winning their world series but you have a big off season this year with shohei otani of course being the number one free agent uh, out there but lots to talk about uh, juan soto before we get into that stuff I want to, and this is kind of beating a dead horse, I bring this up every single year during the playoffs, and I bring it up every single week during the playoffs, but since the playoffs are now over, this is my last week to mention it, you will hear when the Yankees struggle this year or the Mets struggle at times, whoever struggles, and if it's offensive struggles, people will talk about, well, they're too reliant on the home run. We all know you can't hit home runs in the playoffs. you got to manufacture runs. Well, now that this year's playoffs are over, thanks to uh, Sarah Langs, who does a great job on Twitter with all the different stats, teams in this year, not five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, teams this year, in the postseason, who out their opponents, won games, or, or 25 and four. So of the 29 games, 25 of them, the team that out-homered the opponent, won the game. And... Of the runs, of all the runs that were scored in the postseason this year, almost 50% came via a home run. 49.1% of all runs in the playoffs this year came from a home run. Last year, it was 41%. It keeps, it keeps creeping up. And this year, it wasn't even creeping up. It kind of took another big jump. So the, uh, the idea of, of building your team around home runs is not really wrong. Now, you have to score runs in other ways too, right? If if 50% of the home runs comes from runs, the uh, home runs, then 50% does not. But the idea you can't hit home runs in the playoffs is factually true, and it's proven wrong every single solitary year. So moving on to the Yankee stuff, uh, someone brought up uh, during the week about with the Yankees being talked about as a destination for Juan Soto and the Mets as a possibility for Shohei Ohtani, which guy do you think is better, and do you think either one ends up... Here's the thing. I, I hope Juan Soto to the Yankees happens. I just find it very hard to envision the Yankees, who already are kind of laden with a bunch of big salaries, have, what, $170 million tied into six guys? I find it hard to see the Yankees taking on another big salary and and also trading prospects away with a guy who is one year away from free agency and who has Scott Boris as an agent. Now, maybe the fact that he's only one, you're not going to get the prospect return that the, the Padres had to give up when they got him because they got, I think it was three years of of production or two years and, and, and one more. Um, but I don't see the Yankees going down that road. I hope I'm wrong. I don't see any chance of that happening. But here's the thing. With the Yankees and, and fixing the Yankees this offseason, going out and getting a Juan Soto, that's easy. And you could make anybody the GM of the team and say, hey, go get Juan Soto. Okay, fine. That's easy. For Brian Cashman or any GM, the real test is finding value in players and positions where other teams don't see the value. Getting players who overperform what you're paying them. It's the little moves that fill weaknesses across the board. And unfortunately, the big moves, the little moves of Brian Cashman here the last couple of years, it's been proven the last couple of years you can't trust his judgment. It's been that bad. And we can run down the moves as we do all the time. But I think what the lessons you have to learn from all these teams is, especially in baseball, it's not about the stars per se. Everybody has a couple of stars. It's about not having any weaknesses. The weaknesses are what really hold you back. And the Yankees had a lot of weaknesses, right? This past year, left field is an absolute black hole. Center field is a a huge question mark. What are they doing at catcher? Who's playing third base? What's the rotation outside of Garrett Cole? So it's easy to say, hey, go get Juan Soto. I'm all for it. I said that the, the day that he turned down the contract from the Nationals and it was clear he wasn't going to be staying there and they were going to move uh, to get to go someplace else, I said this is the guy you move heaven and earth for. He was 23 at the time. He was already on track to be a Hall of Fame player, left-handed bat, fills a hole in left field. Oh, it's perfect. I, I, it, didn't, it didn't seem like it got off the ground then. Maybe it will get off the ground this time, but I would not be getting my hopes up. I would not be getting my... All the different parts of it doesn't exactly scream a Brian Cashman-type move. Giving up prospects for a guy who's on the verge of getting another huge salary and a Boris client, uh, it doesn't seem like it, it lines up. And I don't know just... The idea, Like the Juan Soto move is a move where you're ticked off and, and you're bottom-lining things. You're like, well, we're, we're going to fix this this offseason. I don't get the sense that the Yankees are uh, all that worked up about fixing anything. I think that they just think, oh, no, we're, we're, we're doing fine. We're, we're, we got a plan. We're going to carry out a plan. And how you know that is is that what changes came about the, from the worst season in the last 30 years? Nothing. And 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 the, the, le- the less important you are, the more danger you're in. The more important you are, the less danger you're in. They're not changing the GM. They're not changing the manager. And whatever changes happen, there will always be changes in terms of the roster. But whatever changes they make as a result of this audit, it's all going to be superficial stuff. And it's not going to – we'll see if it has any real dividends. Much like the Juan Soto deal, I- I'm not getting my hopes up. I'm not getting my hopes up. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Let's squeeze in a couple more calls here. We'll go to a uh, Bill is in Morristown. Bill, what's going on?
0: Um, I I agree. I, I don't like when people are like, oh, the Yankees are too reliant on home runs. And they're pitching, you know, trying to play small ball to win the playoffs. But I think what the problem with the Yankees has been is they used home run hitting as a shorthand or good hitting. If you look at like Corey Seager, he's a like a legitimately good hitter who also hits home runs. Right. So I think like stacking your lineup with 200 hitters who also hit home runs off of bad pitching during the regular season like that doesn't add up.
1: Bill, I'm going to let you go because your phone is a little uh, underwater there. But no, yeah, the Yankees did not, you know, people were bringing up this year about different things. It's clear they did not have any good hitters in the lineup outside of Judge and and Gleyber Torres. Once Anthony Rizzo suffered the injury that he did, he was a, a shell of himself. And you have to hope that he gets back to... Uh, where he was last year, but the rest of the lineup last year, uh, DJ LeMayhew had another down year. Left field was a complete black hole. Harrison Bader kind of slipped under the radar, but he was was a a bad offensive player who was hurt all the time. And then, of course, you have Giancarlo Stanton, who also looked like a shell of his former self. Now, in in regards to Soto, I don't see the Yankees taking on another big contract like that because they already have a bunch of guys here that are going to be here for a little while. If there is some way that they can move Stanton, if somebody would be willing to take him off their hands, and more importantly, he would be willing to go someplace else after the season that he had because he has a a no-trade clause, I guess then maybe you could leave open the possibility. But no, yeah, the Yankees have, much like the Giants have to remake their offense, the Yankees almost have to remake their offense. They got Judge, and that's good. But outside of that, what are you counting on for the Yankees next year? The next best offensive player this past year was Gleyber Torres. And it seems like for the last couple of years, we're, we're questioning of whether or not he's going to be here long term. And now another year closer to free agency, you would have to assume that if there is a piece that the Yankees have offensively right now on the major league squad that would have had any appeal to any team anywhere, it would probably be Gleyber
0: Torres. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Uh,
1: We've been talking a lot about the NFL. We'll get to uh, some, uh, some picks. I said earlier that I think that Justin Herbert is the perfect NFL catfish. Looks good from far, but is far from good. And maybe it's because he's out on the West Coast. Maybe that plays into part of it. We're not focusing on him as much as if he played in the AFC or the NFC East. But you watch him, you see the highlights, you go, man, this guy's amazing. But then you see him up close and it's good from far, but it's far from good. So uh Harvey and Joe, they got some picks for who would be the best NFL catfish. We'll get to that in a second. But let's go out to uh Ryan is in Rockland. He's got a soto point. Ryan, what's going on?
0: Hey guys. hey, how you doing this morning? I'm good. What's up? Uh, good. Um I uh I wanted to get in the conversation with you about the Yankees, uh, because I'm I'm like I'm like the biggest advocate this offseason for that. And uh, I just don't know with Cashman and Boone still there. I just feel like those two guys are just going to want to run back the same team. I'm I'm really hoping that not. But like watching a guy like Bryce Harper this postseason, like you can't miss out on on another guy like that. That lefty bat in Yankee Stadium for the playoffs. So, um, well, look, that's. that's... <laughs>
1: I yeah. would like to think, Ryan, that if it were simply, and thanks for the phone call, if it were simply just, if you were playing a, a game on PlayStation and you could just simply move one guy from one team to another, of course, I'm sure the Yankees would love to have Juan Soto. It's more of the, um, the, the amount of things you have to move to, to get him here, right? You have to give up prospects, which I don't think that Cashman would be willing to do. Uh, it's a guy who's a year away from a, a monster, monster free agent contract. I mean, he'll probably wind up with more money than Judge will. I don't think that the Yankees are going to go down that road. Do you? He's got Boris as an agent, so it's not like he's going to be giving anybody a sweetheart deal. That's for sure. Uh, Just all the different things. And I don't think that the – Hal is not going to be breaking – if you expect that this year's disappointment is going to lead to Hal all of a sudden – breaking out the wallet and breaking out the checkbook and going past all the different luxury taxes like Steve Cohen, I'm telling you right now, you are going to be vastly disappointed, vastly disappointed. That is not going to happen. So they have some money to spend, and I don't think that they're going to run back the same team as last year. They never, they always make changes, but I think that those changes are based on the resources that they have at the time. There is a budget. This past offseason, they didn't have that much of a budget. The big move that they made was Carlos Rodon, and that was a complete disaster. This year, they'll have some some wiggle room in terms of contracts coming off the books. There's a lot. The good news is they got a lot of dead weight. Unfortunately, they're going to be stuck with some of that dead weight moving forward. So uh, I think they have like sixty or seventy million dollars to spend if they spend to last year's levels. So if that's the case, they can. They can go out and make moves. I would think if you're looking for potential moves, I would say there's a much better chance of them going get Cody Bellinger than going out and getting Juan Soto. Bellinger is just a straight free agent. They don't have to give up any talent to get him, and they can just spend money to get him, and, and that lines up. And, and that makes some sense, I guess, in a way. To me, it's about getting the best talent, and Juan Soto is a better player than, than, uh, than Cody Bellinger is. So but I would think that if you're if you're looking for a free agent target for the Yankees, I would say Bellinger is more realistic than uh, than Juan Soto. I hope I'm wrong. I, I, I pray. I pray to be wrong. I pray to be wrong. I'd love to go opening day and the Yankees lot Juan Soto and Aaron Judge, Aaron Judge and Juan Soto be amazing. I think it's going to only happen in my dreams. All right, let's get to the football thing. Uh, Harvey, Joe, I I gave you a little task. Come up with a better NFL catfish than Justin Herbert. Somebody who you look at on the surface and you think, man, this guy's a franchise quarterback. But the the results really don't match what the, the projection is. So who do you guys got?
2: I've got Josh Allen.
1: Josh Allen. Okay, uh, it's not terrible. I can see where you're going. I think that Justin Herbert is, is is better in all the different areas. Like, Josh Allen has had actual more actual success than Justin Herbert. I think his numbers overall as a quarterback are, are better. But I can see the way you're going there.
2: I just think this. When he came up, mm-hmm. like his ascendancy, we talked about him in the same class as, like, a Patrick Mahomes. Yep. And yet, he hasn't beat Patrick Mahomes in a big game. Nope. And last year... Got essentially not like embarrassed, but Yeah, they got embarrassed. Yeah, couldn't it was hang a tough with, year, but they did get embarrassed. Couldn't hang with Joe Burrow twice last mm-hmm. year. And this year he lost to um Trevor Lawrence as well.
1: Yeah, well look, the window of opportunity for the Bills is uh it's starting to get a little it's starting to get a little hairy, right? Like this is the year it's gonna start with hit the contract you gave the quarterback. It's that's the problem when you pay the quarterback, it's hard to fill all the other pieces of the team. It becomes uh, more difficult to do that because you just have so much resources going to the quarterback. But what was that twenty twenty that they lost the the Chiefs in that in in the
2: yeah in the AFC title game yeah
1: right so uh, then and they so, lost
2: the following year I believe in a divisional game too
1: yeah that that was the one that was the overtime game so that was twenty twenty one so that was a couple of years ago now so yeah you thought after that game that hey the Bills are going to be the, the next team to beat and they got beat and, by the and way now we're sitting here five and three. With the game against the Bengals this week, if all of a sudden they're sitting there five and four. If they're not winning the division, if they're not going deep, it, they are a Super Bowl or bust kind of team. So anything short of that is a is a failure.
2: I'll just say this too: we have the Catfish Bowl this year. Bills at the Chargers, December twenty third at eight p.m. That's the Christmas Eve Eve game.
1: Oh, that's that's interesting. Maybe we will we will crown our first ever NFL Catfish champion at that game. It kind of depends on the Chargers still remaining relevant. And I think for them to remain relevant, they have to beat the Jets this week, which is not going to happen because in the NFL picks, picks this week in week nine, I've settled all family business. Like Michael Corleone, the Jets are winning that game outright. I was actually thinking of putting them all on the money line this week. Jets, Chiefs, Giants.
3: You're insane.
1: What what could possibly go wrong? Uh, Joe Leo, uh, who you got for uh, an NFL catfish?
3: I would like to know the odds on that Moneyline Parlay just for –
1: I can work that out for you.
3: But my NFL catfish, and this might be controversial, is Dak Prescott.
1: Yeah, that was a good one too because there's not really been all that much success. But I think that, like, at this point, his failures are kind of baked into it. I think people kind of know the deal. I think that that it's still kind of under the radar. Maybe it's starting to be discovered now – the, the failures of Justin Herbert, but I still feel like it's not, he's the, cow, he's the Cowboys quarterback. That's always going to be um, a bigger, higher profile spot than the San Diego, now LA Chargers quarterback. And the, the odds on a three-team parlay, just money line, is a plus 868. Chiefs, Giants, Jets. What could possibly go wrong?
3: What have you got to lose? Exactly. Who could screw you in that scenario?
1: So for $10, you could win almost like $90. I like it.
3: How could that go wrong?
1: I, I, I don't see that it could. But I say that every single week, and Somehow, against all odds, it does. It does. Yeah, I, I think that the catfish thing is definitely, it has to be a quarterback. To me, there's no better example of it than Herbert. Because when he came in with, and set the, as a rookie, put up the numbers that he did, you would have thought by now, there would be more production, and maybe it is mostly the coach because the NFL is a coaching league, and it just seems like that guy—he—he um, he has got to be on the hot seat. And I would have thought that he would have been the first guy to get fired in season, especially with the way the season's gone. Like th- th- it's not even like they have any good wins to to show for themselves. They—they they beat the Bill, uh, they beat the Bears last week. Uh, if they lose the Jets this week, that kind of takes them. Not completely out of it, but it, it certainly deals a, a pretty significant blow to any playoff hopes this year. It, it felt like last year, after the way things went in the playoffs, and, and really ownership there. Dean Spanos, we did this a while ago, and I guess we have to kind of rejuggle the, the, the numbers. Dean Spanos, one of the the worst owners in the NFL. I think Mark Davis has now kind of jumped to the, the front of the line there. That, that seems like a complete disaster area, but... Um, Dean Spano, the the whole organization, the owner, the coach, the quarterback. Am I laying it on thick enough? Jets are winning on Monday night. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Coming up next, it is The Leftovers, which includes by far the worst movie I have ever seen in my entire life. I saw it this week. I can't believe I actually made it through to the end. I'll tell you what it was next.
0: Now back to The Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.
1: All right, so we are into the final segment of the show. On a Saturday, that means it is time for The Leftovers.
0: A hungry Damer is never full.
1: At this stage of my life, eating is like
0: 90% of my joy. Where he answers the unanswerable. Got to do something with my hands. I got to get busy. No algorithm can defeat the GD. These are Gordon Damer's Leftovers.
1: All right, so, uh, yeah, we got a lot of stuff to still get through here before we hand things off to Anita Marks at noon. Joe, you had something first off, though. Can we do NFL
3: Catfish head coaches? Because for me, this is a guy who, I mean, any coaching record ever, he was in the same conversation as Lombardi, is Matt LaFleur. You look at his coaching record. First three years as a coach, thirteen wins in each of the years, right. but yeah. how division good, championships. Right, division championships went to an NFC championship game. How good of a head coach is he really? Because you look at Jordan Love, he's supposed to be an offensive guru. He hasn't really put Love in a position to succeed this year. And He's got a lot of offensive talent, and the offense has gone backwards.
0: Holy shitfish! Yeah,
1: yeah that, that that's fair. Uh, I think that there's better example. The one that would immediately come to mind, and maybe this kind of strengthens Harvey's point with his with his pick uh, of um, Josh Allen, would be Sean McDermott.
2: What a great right. point, Andy.
1: They, they've gone they, they've gone to the playoffs a bunch of times. There, they've won I think three division titles in a row, but they haven't gotten to a Super Bowl um they got to the one conference championship game and, and that's been it so uh, look it's still up in the air this year they could still make it this year but he's a guy who i think is, is has a losing record in the playoffs i think he's four and five or or five and six or something like that so i i my vote if it if i if there were one uh would be sean McDermott.
3: could you make the same argument for shanahan too i know he's been to a super bowl but
1: yeah, that's not a bad one. I, it's just I look at him as this offensive guru. Unfortunately, he has had some some mind-bogglingly bad decisions once he's gotten there. But again, at the end of the day, it's going to be about winning a Super Bowl. Um, and they have a very good chance to do it this year, even despite the the recent struggles. But I think he still has a winning record in the playoffs. And he has won division championships. He's been to the playoffs a few years out there. Uh, I, I would I would agree with you his name seems to get elevated above what the accomplishment, and a lot of it is still based on how things are going to go. But uh, I, if I had him as my head coach, I'd be happy.
3: And anybody who knows him, even if they just got a cup of coffee with him, has a head coaching job in the NFL. Well,
1: it's, it's a good way to go. It's, it's not about who you know, it's about who knows you. And uh, if he knows you, then that's a pretty good way to go. Maybe, maybe uh, if there's any coaching changes here locally, that, that's the, the road that they'll go down the next time. You never know. It's possible, right? All right, so this week, a couple of weeks ago, leading up to Halloween, we, there was that list of, of the scariest movies based on science. So I've, I've, I've made it my mission to kind of run through all of those movies. I saw by far the worst, not just the worst horror movie, the worst movie I have ever seen in my life. And I'm going to use Joe and Harvey as a way to prove to you that so you can avoid this movie. I don't think it's going to be hard to avoid it because I'd never heard of it before this, but I'm going to use those two guys to prove to you this is a movie to avoid at all costs. So what would typically be a question if someone told you they'd seen a movie what would typically be a question you would ask somebody about that movie
3: What's the plot
1: Okay that's a good question I have no idea I watched the entire I rented it I paid money for it I fell asleep the first night watching the name of the movie is Skinamarink It's a horror movie it's from 2022 it was ranked third highest of all the, the scary movies based on science. I have seen children's programming that was scarier than I said to Larry the other night, I've seen episodes of Peppa Pig, that, Caillou from back in the day. There were scary episodes of, of any children's programming that you've seen in your life. I have no idea what happened in this movie. What would be another typical question you would ask?
2: Who's the main character?
1: Who's the main character? Who's in the movie? Have I seen them in other things? I didn't see anybody in the movie. There are people in the movie, but they're not shot on, on screen. It's the, the, the movie. I, I Googled the name, and one of the first things that come, comes up is, what is the point of Skinnamarink? That is one of the popular questions. The second most popular question, according to Google, all the people who have access to Google on planet Earth that's the second most popular question that has been asked about this. The first one is how scary is it? And then secondly, what is the point of skin a That's not a good sign. Not a good sign. And and the answer is that the director produced skin and Marink as an ambiguous film that is open to interpretation. My interpretation is it was a complete waste of time and money. Nobody is on screen. I don't know what is supposed to be scary about it. It's that I almost wish you could see it without sitting through the 2 hours to see it. So I rented it. And you know when you rent it you get like a 2 a 2-day rental. So the first day I started watching it, half hour in I fell asleep. It was so bored, nothing was happening. I'm like, "When is something going to happen?" Well, something did happen. I fell asleep. So then the next day, I was like, I'm not even going to bother. But then then the following day, the third day, I still had some time to watch it. And I picked it back up. And then it got cut off, like, the last five minutes. I'm like, well, I'm already... Something's got to happen. Nothing happened. Not There's nobody in the movie. There is no discernible plot of the movie. It's the worst movie of all time. Nothing can top this. And I... And I, I don't know how, but according to Rotten Tomatoes, I have to assume this is Russian bots. They has a rating of 72. They, this cannot be real people who watched this and said, no, I, I, this is good. I, I, this is really good. And how it got to be the third scariest movie of all time, whew, it was, it was, it was that bad. It was, you, you could set out to make a terrible movie and it couldn't be any worse than this. So if you ever have, if it's ever on one of the, you, you run the channels late at night and you just happen to see Skin somewhere, watch it for 10 minutes. Watch how nothing happens in the movie. I'm telling you, nothing happens in the movie. It's that bad. It's that bad. Now, I'll, I'll take suggestions from the crowd. I, I, I said to Joe and Harvey, let me know the, the, the worst movie you've ever seen in your life. It can't possibly be worse than this. Um, and just the fact that it's a mo- an ambiguous film that is open to interpretation.:
3: I think I got your beat though. OK. So this is a movie made in 2010. It's also a horror, horror movie. It's called "Frozen." Not to be r- confused with the Disney
1: okay. oh, no, Princess. I love the kids movie. love Frozen. They sing the song. It's, it's beautiful.
3: This is a horror movie called "Frozen," Uh-huh. And it's about three people on a chairlift. And they get stuck there, and they can either sit up there and freeze to death, or jump from like a ridiculous height to try to make it, you know, back. And it's basically watching three people stuck on a chairlift, which is not moving, for an hour and a half.
1: But but are there actors visible in the movie?
3: Yes, but okay. only there's. Well, I want to say got you five sorry. people.
1: Sorry, sorry, I got you beat. Now, are they recognized? They clearly, they're not recognized. This is a low budget film. Right? Yeah.
3: Yes. This is a low budget film. There's not like there's not a close up camera view of them on the chairlift.
1: Interesting. But there are you you admit that there are actors in the film. I'm the, sorry. Yes. Right? My film had no actors. actors. In it. Skinnamarink is the name of the it, it is that bad. Harvey, what do you got?
2: Well, I've always said every Harry Potter movie ever made is the oh, worst and, movie I've You're,
1: you're outraged. And, I mean, Look, this is, you've got me This B is already, why we bro. can't rely. You were so rely. good. You almost made it through the full three hours without saying the anything question. ridiculous.
2: Look, you asked me, and all I said, every Harry Potter movie is awful. I was, it was so bad, I just texted on the phone
1: with my brightness up in the movie theater. I might as well do that. You were that guy? I was that guy for that day. come on. He's that guy. That is who he is. He is that guy. And that's why we we just can't rely on anything. Well, look, Harvey, have a very happy birthday. I hope you get a beautiful waffle maker from someone other than me. Uh, But that's going to do it for the show for today already. If you uh, did not get us on the phones, if you have a movie that you think, please uh, hit me up on Twitter on X at Gordon Damer, It cannot possibly be worse than the thing that I watched this week. But the show is done. Anita Marks is next. It's only here on 98.7 FM. See ya. You can't get them wet enough.